You're listening to the free preview episode of On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. To hear the entire episode, go to patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer, K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R, and sign up. It's only $5 for the entire series. This is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. Season 2, Episode 13, Jehovah's Witnesses and Psychedelics. I've interviewed people who have left the Jehovah's Witnesses before, but I haven't interviewed someone who had the same exit path as my guest today. My guest is Chelsea Lockwood, who recently wrote an article for Medium called How I Overcame Cult Trauma with Psychedelics. Her story is rather incredible, having left an organization that she was the third generation of. And her method of getting over it was by using one of the most powerful psychedelics in the world called ayahuasca. Welcome, Chelsea. Chelsea, talk to me about how you became a Jehovah's Witness. You were born into the group, correct? My dad was a third generation Jehovah's Witness. So his, his grandmother, my great grandmother was the one who initially got into that, I think probably in the early 1900s, um, which is shortly after the whole religion was created. Uh, He had been in it his entire life. Yet when he got older and he moved out, he really wanted to be a radio DJ. And so he went and he made that dream a reality while he was still pretty young. I mean, he was only 19 years old, but he was still technically in the religion, but also kind of figuring out his way in life, like what he wanted to do. And, and he met my mom, who was raised Catholic, but not really religious at all. And she just... I think came into his life like a whirlwind and they got pregnant with me just (laughs) which, you know, premarital sex is not at all allowed in in the Jehovah's Witnesses. So it was a big moment in terms of they had to figure out like, what are we going to do? And the decision was, well, we just have to get married despite not really knowing each other very well. We usually associate the term having to get married with, you know, the 1950s, but this was recent. My mom had an incredibly tough upbringing. I mean, she wasn't raised in a cult, but she, it was her, her parents, it was a very abusive upbringing. And so I look at like, what made her say, I'm just going to marry this guy that I just met, that I don't really know that well. Um, and I think it's because like, she really needed something to hang on to. And I see a lot of people, they end up in, in, as a Jehovah's Witness or in any kind of cult type situation because they were raised in situations where it was just like, I don't have anyone or anything. And they, you know, are just looking for something to latch onto. And I think that's what happened with my mom. What is your earliest recollection of being in the Jehovah's Witnesses? We had to go to meetings multiple times a week. It was, I mean, pretty much it was since I was an infant, you know, being in this big community like building you know with a bunch of other witnesses and 
having to be quiet as a as a child and like talking and and being told like you have to be quiet and i would be like what like but they're talking you know everyone else is talking um I, that was kind of my memory um also just being around a lot of people that were i was told are like these are your family you know and they weren't they were just part of the the religion what was it like growing up for you in the jehovah's witnesses as a child it's complicated because i would say there were many nice things about being raised in kind of a closed community in some ways just i mean to have a community is amazing of people you know who like have your back and and that there's always somebody there and it feels like very loving but it's also i think as i got older I realized it was all very surface level. These people only love you if you are living your life entirely like what is prescribed by this organization. And if you say one thing, if you do one thing that veers from that path, you are immediately, you're reported, you need to be talked to. And so just like that feeling of control and like, I can't be honest about what I'm really thinking or feeling, even with my family, with my friends, it creates this like schism where you have the life that you that you share with others and then your inner world, which no one can ever know of what you're feeling or thinking internal. And that for me was, I think I didn't realize it at the time, but that started a whole path of like mental issues is just like, I can never tell anyone what I'm thinking internally. I can never share like my deepest, darkest stuff. We've talked about this before on the show. There's a lot of attrition of teen Jehovah's Witnesses, meaning they're either disfellowshipped or they leave of their own accord. Did you notice that when you were growing up in the church? Yeah, I mean, people who left were demonized. They were talked about constantly. and. My situation, it was a little different in terms of like, I had a lot going on with my mom. My mom was um, an alcoholic and had, I had been put in this situation where I was really her caretaker. And um, so I, I didn't feel like I had moments of having like teenage rebellion. And I, I remember like going to see live music at like a local venue. <laughs> that was considered like if anyone knew that you were going to see live music like and which someone did find out that i went and saw live music and it became a huge thing how much of the apocalyptic nature of the teachings of the jehovah's witnesses are you made aware of when you're young right out the gate there's no like okay kids earmuffs while we talk about the apocalypse it's it's like it is like right out the gate that was, I think, the thing that shaped me mentally and emotionally the, like, the strongest um, as a kid because I remember just like, like going to meetings three or four times a week and hearing stuff about like, it could come tonight, it could come right now. And thinking, wait, what? And asking my parents and, and just being like, yeah, like, and, and you should want this to come. And I was like, I don't, I, 
it's hard to remember like how old I was, but I would guess maybe like three or four, like just, you know, way too young to even know anything at all. And just being like, wait, I could die. And they were like, not if you're good. And it's like, oh my God, I'm way too young to even comprehend, like, am I good? Have I done anything wrong? You know, I don't even know. It, 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 that, that started like wildly young, at, like at least four. It was before I ever went to kindergarten. Other ex-Jehovah's Witnesses have reported that their parents prevented them from experiencing pop culture or limited their access to pop culture. Is that what it was like in your house growing up? Because my mom wasn't raised a witness, there were certain things that she would try to sneak into my <laughs> life um, secretly while my dad was at work. I remember seeing Paula Abdul on TV and I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. Like she was dancing and I thought this is incredible, but it was like, don't tell your dad that you saw. Them. So there was like, my mom would expose me to things she would have magazines and stuff, but it was always like, don't ever talk too much about this. Like, this is just secret. Like, we don't talk about this outside of this. So I, I had a little bit of it, but it, it was like, it had to be very secretive. Let's talk about something that was in the Medium article. You talk a lot about panic attacks. How old were you when you started having panic attacks? Some of my earliest memories of being like four, four or five years old are maybe like three even are of having panic attacks. And that I would differentiate that from a, like a normal child tantrum in that it felt like I was in a mental, emotional spiral that I could not get out of. And like, you know, I was dying or something that really coincided with the realization that like the world is going to end. Like it was, I feel like it, those two things really were very connected when the moment where I kind of like was realizing, oh, the end of the world at any time was around the exact same time where I was like, just into the deepest throes of like, of panic attack. We've heard from other ex-witnesses that corporal punishment is not just tolerated, it's somewhat encouraged within the group. Did you experience corporal punishment growing up? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was spanked as a kid and I think I, I mean, I witnessed other kids being spanked like at the kingdom hall, like when we would all be together, that was pretty, I think it, I can't even think of any parent who was like, we don't spank our children. <laughs> like, I think that that would have been looked at as like, insane among the community I was raised in. In your essay, you talk about not only being privy to other kinds of child abuse, but you report having actually witnessed some child abuse. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, it's, it's complicated it's only something I've really started to talk about recently. And it's weird because some of it is like, it's, I doesn't like I was there and I witnessed it. And yet it almost doesn't feel like my story to tell, but I can tell you like what I remember without getting into like specifics about who the people were. I think like I, I had some friends, you know, 
kid friends growing up. And one of the girls that I was pretty close to just at a very young age was constantly talking about that when we were together. And I didn't even know what she was talking about. Like she would, she would, you know, make references to things, but then it was like, she never stopped talking about it. At the time I was just like, wow, she's really into this for some reason and didn't understand that at all. But then at some point later on, when I went to her house, there was another child there. She, the, the parents were in the other room and she started to, to touch him and uh, in a way that I immediately, like I had never seen anything like it. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew, I was like, oh, I can't be here. <laughs> like, I don't want anyone to know like that I'm even in this room right now. Um, and it, like at the time I was so young that I didn't realize what I was really seeing. But as I look back as an adult at the way that it, like what was happening, I know now it was, it was a child abusing another child, but she would have not known how to do that had an adult not done something like that to her. There were regular occurrences there was a man in our congregation who had abused, you know, several boys and just kept denying it when he would be confronted. He'd say, no, I never did it. And it was like, all of these boys have different, you know, they, they all have the same story. Do you think that they're all lying? And he's like, yeah, I do. I haven't done anything. And it was like, okay, well, you're free to go. As I started to get older, it was, became a much more regular thing for my friends to be like, yeah, I was. I was abused like by someone in my congregation and, and just kind of looking back and being like, Oh yeah, I could see that. Like not, you know, some of it I literally saw and some of it I could just feel, you know, from, from the atmosphere or the, the dynamic between certain adults and children. And, um, it just didn't feel surprising. And it was like, Oh wow, that was everywhere. It was, it it was everywhere and I just never saw it because I grew up with it and it just felt normal. Were you aware while you were a part of the Jehovah's Witnesses that there is a policy whereby if someone is accused of child abuse and a third party has not witnessed it independently, it's treated as if it never happened? Yes. <laughs> that was... Um... That was part of what, with the, the one man who had, who had abused several boys, that, that was the thing that all, they had, the elders had told all of the boys' parents, which was, well, if there wasn't a third party there to witness it, then there's really nothing that we can do. And they were just like, you really think he would be stupid enough to do this in front of a third party? And it's like, well, we can't, this is just the rule. We can't do anything else. So. To unlock the rest of this episode, visit patreon.com forward slash K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. It's only $5 to unlock over 20 hours of content.